we used to have fairly regularly, uh, um, you know, those chicken hatching programs that you have at, at your services um, come in, so the eggs would come in, yep. and they'd be there for a few days in the um, is it incubator? I think yes, that's what they're called. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Um, and then at some point during the week, the eggs would hatch and the chickens would come out, and it's one of the most almost one of the most beautiful things to see, right? It's really like actually emotionally affecting. Yeah. Um, and the children loved it. They'd, you know, they'd, they'd crowd around and go, oh, like it, the rare occasion when it actually happened during the moment when the children were there. It was amazing. And I had this um, child who was diagnosed with autism spectrum and that was happening during a session when she was there and the yeah. children were just fascinated. They were like, oh, the chickens, wow, the chickens. And she came over and had a look too and was interested in it, really interested in it. And then she walked away from, from the area where it was and, and I heard her go, chickens, chickens, yum, chicken. <laughs> and it really struck me because yeah. although she was interested in it, she'd taken something else entirely yes. out of the experience than the other children had. Yep. Um, and it made me realise that um, th there's almost a different framework within which the... the um, you know, students with autism spectrum think about yep. the world around yep. them. And it was one of the most um, stark reminders of that when that happened. Wow. Just that extra level of thinking. Yeah. You know, I mean, my daughter's had the chickens in, she's, mm -hmm. you know, four and had the chickens in her um, at kinder recently. Yep. But I don't think she'd even put the connection no. between then what we were having for dinner. Yep. Yeah. yeah, very few of them yeah. do. Like they're, they're, the emotional aspect yep. of it is, is the strongest pull, I think, with a lot yeah. of the children. But, yeah, not with her. She she immediately linked it to chicken and, and how much she likes chicken to yep. eat. Yep. Yep. It was, yeah, I was just really struck by it. Yep. Um, so we've got a big question that's related to that today, um, which is why I thought of the story, which is uh, what mindset do I need to take with including students with the autism spectrum into the classroom? Yep. And that's because, to me, that was really illustrative of the idea that, uh, you know, it, it's a mindset. It's yes. not just a set of five simple tricks that I can use to change the way I deal with students with uh, autism spectrum. Yep. But rather, it's, it's a whole mindset. It's, it's a different way of thinking about it. Mm. No, I think that's, um, yeah, a definitely good way of thinking about it because, yeah, not a simple set of tricks and tools. Mm. You know, you really have to be um, thinking about every aspect, you know, of, mm. of, of the students with your classroom, as, you know, in your classroom, yeah. And so you've done a bit of reading on... So, look, um, a, couple, a, a couple of weeks ago I came across an article in the Herald Sun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at Max yeah. because I know how much he likes the Herald Sun. Oh, I'm an avid, avid reader. <laughs> um, but I was, I was looking at it and, you know, because I am doing some work... Um, finding some resources, mm -hmm. you know, with autism. So it, it, I suppose it's something that caught my eye. Um, and so it's called Does Autism Have a Place in the Mainstream Classroom? Mm -hmm. It's by Kylie Matthews and it was, um, yeah, back on August 29th and, and this will be put on our website for mm -hmm. people, um, for our listeners to maybe go and refer back to if they're interested. Um, look, it's been, it's quite interesting what I have, what really in the article it had... Um, shared experiences, you know, with, um, so there was um, a teacher's point of view, a mm -hmm. uh, parent's point of view, and then there was also a psychologist and their point of view and their perspective as well. Um, what was interesting with the teacher is that she was talking about how she had really quite a large classroom of 30 students mm -hmm. uh, with three students with okay. ASD. Yep. Um, and she said that, you know, just not even her 
normal load of classroom teaching, mm. you know, and, and everything that she had to do. But then also making sure that she was organised to make sure everything would go smoothly during the day. But also then just that the, the planning on top of her already busy schedule, mm -hmm. you know, that of making sure that she was focusing on their needs and, yep. and, and planning out their, you know, to make them have a successful year. So mm. she was kind of talking about this whole, you know, being burnt out, yep. um, you know, and she loves it now and she really enjoys having them as part of, you know, students with ASD in her class and, and loves teaching her class of 30. But just all of this um, building workload was quite challenging. Um, and so that was the one point that was quite interesting. Um, and they look talking about teachers. Um, one of the psychologists was saying that some teachers um, that have a student in their class automatically get it, mm -hmm. understand, willing, um, know how to, well, mostly maybe know how to engage, how to assist and, and help students, you know, on the spectrum. But then there's some students, some teachers that just don't understand, don't have the nature yeah. and just really struggle throughout the year. And, yeah. and look, I've been in a position where I have taught students in my class with, with autism. But, um, and look, I have um, a background, you know, with disability. So I feel that I do have some skills mm -hmm. that, you know, that, that, that can be helpful and that, that help me teach, you know. But then I look back and suddenly think maybe about how much support um, I did have, mm -hmm. but then also how much I was able to um, learn, uh, you know, like uh, what professional development was out there oh, yeah. that, that, that could help me in my classroom and in my setting. So that was kind of, you know, interesting that it was talking about, you know, that, that teachers, some are prepared and some mm. aren't and some have huge difficulty. Um, but then they were talking about, you know, the, 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 the student themselves and, you know, how socially it can be difficult for them to be in a classroom setting, you know, that because they are, can be sometimes have, um, have their differences, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that they can be bullied and that they can to be made to be feel like a bit of an outsider. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that can be quite difficult. Um, and then there was also a bit of a perspective as, as a parent and, you know, there, this there was a parent talking about how um, that they're happy to, the, you know, that they accept and understand that teachers have, have pressure and they're happy to support them mm -hmm. in what they do. But also that um, sometimes some parents do have that unreal ex expectation that, that, that their child is, um, you know, they, they obviously have, um, want their ch children to actually do well, mm -hmm. but then there's that, um, unrealistic pressure that they put then on teachers to right. make sure that they have a successful year. So it was really quite interesting and look in the end all three had very different views about um, whether students with autism should be you know in a mainstream school and mm -hmm. um, and I think really it actually ended up coming down I mean there was one view saying that you know a community raises a child yeah. which I like that mm -hmm. that whole saying you know whether it's you know a child from any place um, but yeah, I think the teacher, it was more from the teacher saying that they needed extra support and yeah. extra assistance. So it was quite interesting, all the views. And I think over my 12 year career, but then also all my background is I have seen those different views all in action. So yeah. it was quite interesting just to, to, to read it and yeah. I think um, the, 
you know, the, the question in the first place kind of annoyed me. The, yes. Um, does autism have a yes. place in the mainstream yes. classroom? Yes. Because I, I, I truly believe it does. Yes. Um, and I think that the teaching the students I taught um, on the spectrum actually made me a better teacher for all students, mm, mm. Um, making sure I recognise that everybody comes at learning differently yep. um, was one of the best things I learned. And I yes. don't think I would have learned that without that experience. Yep. But at the same time, the, the resourcing issue is, yes. is a legitimate issue. You know, if you've um, got a lot of time you have to spend mm. helping include these students, then, um, you know, that needs to be taken into account. Yep. But I think that's a different question from should they be yes, in the mainstream exactly. classroom. It, yep. it goes to how should we support yep. them, what, what should be in exactly. place around it. Exactly, I think a different title yep. going through yeah. yeah and it's something that did kind of annoy me as well mm. because you know my like I've got a brother with a disability and so that kind of didn't sit quite well yeah. with me there's not that opportunity and I've seen so many students that have come through my school and my teaching mm. areas that have had such such successful years and mm. schooling careers you mm. know that that suddenly saying you know are they able to be in your classroom mm. is quite yeah, it yeah, seems like awful. a really yes. bringing up a, a, an old debate yes. and, and one we don't want to Exactly, but look, to. I mean, in there, there were quite a few, you know, things for, um, yeah, needing... There were some really, I suppose, some points in there that were quite good, but, yeah, th but that main question, yeah, was, was very interesting, I felt. So we pro probably should introduce yes. our guest now. Um, so with us today, we've got Jane Hancock. Um, Jane's a secondary school teacher who's uh, dealt pretty extensively with um, students on the autism spectrum. And she's written an article for us quite recently in our journal about autism. Welcome, Jane. Thanks for coming along. Yes, thanks very much, Kate. Thanks Max. for coming in. Uh, so we've just got a few things we'd like to talk to you about. Um, if you can just start, though, by telling us about you know, the job that you do currently and, and you know, what it is and where you work and, and how you work with students with autism, that'd be fantastic. Right, well my background, as you mentioned, is um, secondary and mm. math science is my particular area. Um, I guess from very early in my teaching career, almost immediately, I tended to warm towards the strugglers, mm -hmm. I guess, um, or the ones that are a bit different. So I've found my way after years of teaching mainstream, really, mm. math science, I've found my way into learning support, numeracy, with also usually a mainstream maths class at the same yep. time. Yep. Um, and um, I work with a team of learning support officers and other um, uh, learning support teachers mm -hmm. in literacy and numeracy. So, yeah, and we, we support, we do a bit of team teaching yep. and we run small breakout learning support classes mm -hmm. Um, for some of our boys in learning support. Um, yes, that's what I'm doing at the moment. And, and what do you really enjoy? What's your favourite part of your role? I think seeing, seeing progression mm -hmm. and engagement and seeing them happy to come. Um, often for us in learning support, we've only got uh, classes of about between 8 and 12. Um, so sometimes people think that's a pretty easy gig, mm. actually. Yep, yep, you know, yep. Gee whiz, eight or twelve <laughs> <laughs> kids. But often when other staff members do a, a replacement session, they realise that you've got a variety of complex mm. personalities in those classes and, um, and they think differently <laughs> afterwards, I think. But for those students, sometimes we provide respite as much as anything else. Um, 
we concentrate on reinforcing literacy and reinforcing numeracy and reinforcing study skills, but at times it's just a chance for them to escape right. and have some downtime as well. So. And so can you tell us about uh, when you first started um, being engaged with students with autism and, and how it was for you when, when you first did that? Um, yeah, well, I, I started, I suppose, a long time ago yeah. over in Italy, actually, right. by chance, yeah. quite by chance. I worked at an international school and I was given a little bunch of, of um, what they called special needs mm. children. Yep. And um, I had to wing it, yep. really. And in that group of children, there was one boy who, now when I look back, I realise he was, you know, fairly classically mm. autistic. Yep. And so I had to get up to speed pretty quickly. In the interim, I had my own child and she was diagnosed. So then I launched into some pretty serious research, yep. masters in inclusive education and so on. Yep. So that's how yep. I found my way back into and then... As I say, I always enjoyed that um, that type of teaching anyway to kids who, you know, needed a bit more assistance, I guess. How did you get by in that first group in Italy when you didn't have specific yeah. training um, in, in dealing with students on the spectrum? How did you manage and how do you reflect on that now? I think the first thing I did was to talk to the parents mm -hmm. because... Um, well, they live with him all the time. Yep. Yes. So, um, and tried to get as much information as I could. Yep. I mean, that was back in 1991. So Asperger's really wasn't something that was widely mm -hmm. known about. Yep. Yep. Um, and there wasn't a lot of information apart from sort of the Rain Man type profile. Mm -hmm. yep. It wasn't quite like that mm -hmm. either. But the parents were my first sort of source of information, I guess. Yep. And then I just tried to, I don't know, tried to make a connection first. Yep. That was the first thing I did. Looked at all the, from the parents, they gave me a list of don't do this, whatever oh, yep. you do. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. That was a good starting point. And then what I found he loved to do was just, he loved to do quest, maths questions yep. mm -hmm. at the beginning of each oh, yeah. um, day. Mm -hmm. Because I, I actually had to take a variety of subjects, not just maths, mm -hmm. with this little bunch of of students and so he'd get right into that um, and yes looking back on it that was the routine yeah. and and the factual side of answering questions and yep. yeah so and that's how I started. Think, do you think you made many mistakes with that first group that you look back on now <laughs> yes. and cringe? Yeah. <laughs> yes a yeah. lot of mistakes <laughs> but uh, I think we looking back we kind of all bumbled along together yep. um, and I tried things and Yes, yeah, so it's a bit like teaching rounds yeah. yes. where you try yes. things and you think, gee, <laughs> I won't do that again or I'll yep. do it differently. Um, but these days we try and teach our students about growth mindset mm -hmm. and about making mistakes and mm. in various different formats making mistakes are the way to learn. Yes. So I think as teachers we have to have that same growth yep. mindset. Yep. It's not easy but I think particularly with students with autism, mm. you really do have to have that growth mindset. Yes, yes. Because it's exactly as you said, Kate, there's no little toolkit no. and to-do list. Yep. You really do have to adapt it to each yep. individual. Because it's a spectrum. Yes. And it's a, I, I see it as a multi-dimensional spectrum. Mm. It's not just a linear spectrum, okay. which makes yep. it even more complex, yeah. I think. 
So, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. And because I'm going back and thinking, oh, sorry, you know, about how, um, you know, I... And, and each day there's not necessarily something that might have happened the day before that then works the next day, you know, or a day after. But, but, but I find that I've, uh, in my teaching and whether it's with students with, um, you know, that are autistic or whether it's students with other disabilities or just my students, you know, is that every day you're trying to better yourself and, you know, you reflect on how your lessons have gone or maybe a particular moment and trying to better yourself. So it is very much like, you know, what, what you've said you know, even just with that initial class, you know, we're constantly trying to make things better and, yes. Correct. I mean, I think that's important. You know, it, it's always been important in my mainstream classes yes, too. Exactly. I mean, I remember not that long ago going into my mainstream maths class, I had what I thought was a fabulous lesson. I ticked all the boxes. It yep. was going to be hands-on. <laughs> they're going to be moving. Not as much as in primary school, but yep. they're going to be yep. moving. Yep. And year eight boys after lunch, um... And it was, yes, it was a little group focus, you know, breakout groups. It was, it was going to be great. And it was just a monumental flop. <laughs> so you just have to pick yourself up from that yeah. and have a look and see. I, I think actually it was a hot day and they'd all been running around oh, yeah. and, and they're all sweaty. And <laughs> so, yeah, you just have to um, move on. I think you need to reflect. But that's just good teaching practice, yes. I believe. Yeah, so, mm. exactly. I'm interested, so you said um, since that you've done lots of research and your masters, was that? I did. Yep, yes, yep. Yes. And so I suppose from all of that research and new learning, you know, what, and I suppose where you are now, how much has your practice actually changed? I know you sort of spoke a little bit about, you know, making, you know, talking to your students about making um, mistakes is okay. You know, but what? But what's really changed, or what's something that you've really taken away from? You know, I think the biggest thing, and and probably having a daughter um, on the spectrum as well, has has also heightened it. Yep. Is the more you learn about autism, and I guess, look, I, I've been quite fanatical. I would have to admit. Yep. Um, but I've become very interested in the brain wiring side of mm -hmm. autism. It's now we've got the tools to see that it's quite clear that yep. the wiring's different mm -hmm. in the brains of people on the autism spectrum um, to greater or lesser degrees, yep. but there's definitely a different way of thinking. So um, we often talk about students on the autism spectrum as uh, having trouble getting into the shoes of other people, mm -hmm. but at the same time, probably the biggest, biggest thing, and I think about it every day, is to get into the shoes of my students mm. on the spectrum. So I'm always thinking, um, you know, um, in fact, just yesterday I went into a class and um, I had an activity that I, I uh, we were going to do revision um, for the exam and then we'd come across, I, I team teach with another teacher, we'd come across a great activity. We went in and said, boys, here's something really terrific that we'd like to do and one student got quite upset because his expectation was that he was going to be able to have a homework homework session that yep. had been traditionally oh. a homework yep. session so I very quickly said right and acknowledged that and had to um, allow him to negotiate it I had to negotiate mm -hmm. it so most of the boys were happy doing the activity that we'd brought because yep. that was going to help them towards their exams this one student, I had to be then flexible and 
acknowledge that that was part of his expectation mm -hmm. and part of the way he thinks and part of his rigid mm. thinking and difficulty with change. So, yeah, getting into their shoes, I think, is one mm. of the biggest things. Yep. And in trying to get into their shoes, how much of that do you think you can predict? So, I mean, your story just then was, um, you know, something that was, un you know, unpredicted. How much can you be ready for that and how much of it is being ready to respond? There's a bit of both. Yep. You can be pretty proactive. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think it's, it's a funny, uh, it, maybe it's a simplistic analogy, but I think of a snowflake as being probably a good analogy if you mm -hmm. want one, that all snowflakes basically have a hexagonal mm -hmm. um, structure. So underneath, they're all, they're all based around a hexagon. But then each of them is quite different. Yeah. You pretty much won't get two that mm. are the same. So that's how I look at it, really. And if you educate yourself around the basic, uh, the main foundations, mm -hmm. I suppose, that identify and get children a diagnosis yep. of autism spectrum disorder, then there's a lot you can be proactive yeah. about. Yeah, so you can head a lot of things off at the pass, yeah. I think. So... Um, Yes, I mean, usually, I think organisation and being organised, yep. um, organisation and planning, um, making sure that you, um, that your lesson is structured, yep. um, trying to keep things visual. Yep. Um, but there will be the days when something's happened in the playground, or maybe it even happened a few days ago, mm. yep. or maybe several things have happened, yep. and suddenly it's all built up. And in those moments, you've just got to be able to go with the flow. Yep. Yep. And sometimes that involves taking the student out. The student may have an exit pass yep. already. So, yeah, you've got to also be able to think on your feet. Mm. But I think having a good understanding of the basics underneath it mm. and then the connection with your student, yes. Yes. the individual yep. students. Yeah. So predictability, I think, was a big thing for me mm. once I was able to structure my classes around a you know, fairly predictable routine. Yep. I found students with ASD responded better to what I was doing. Um, how, how do you do that? I mean, you said you've got smaller breakout groups, which is a little bit different from a mainstream classroom. How do you structure your normal session with, with those students? Yep. Yes, I suppose we, we take a few li more liberties than mm -hmm. you would normally. So as with the example I mentioned earlier, um, however, they, the students do have an expectation yep. coming in. So we have literacy class, we have numeracy class, um, and then this homework session mm -hmm. that I mentioned earlier. Yep. Um, I think if there's going to be something di very different, we would always give advanced yep. warning. Yep. Um, I write things on the board oh, yep. wherever yep. possible yep. so that you've got those visual... Mm -hmm visual cues yep. um, and then I suppose you have to build I really do believe in building a connection mm -hmm. yes. and building trust so now that we've we feel that we've got a pretty good relationship with our students um, we're starting to at this end of the year do more um, little group activities so that in those small groups we're trying to encourage I suppose behaviours that would be much more difficult in a in a bigger mm -hmm. in a bigger classroom setting. Yep. Um, and 
the smaller groups provide the opportunity for students to get up. We, we encourage them to move, to get up and write on the whiteboards, yep. and then to um, practice helping each other, to practice articulating um, their own ideas. Yep. But I think visual cues is very important mm -hmm. and um, to, to allow students to um, understand what the structure of that particular lesson is going to be. Even though they're, as you see, more relaxed, yep. mm. <coughs> they still have to have an expectation for what's going to take place today. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So you would write out first, we're going to do this, then this, then this, that kind of thing would be yes. on the whiteboard for yes. every session? Um, usually we try to. Yep. Um, I think it works better if you can. Mm -hmm. yep. um, Having said that, you have to be careful because if you write it down on the whiteboard, you better do <laughs> it. <laughs> yes, yes. So don't deviate from it. So um, <laughs> if it's something for things that we've done and in those small classes we do, for example, with our year nine boys, reinforcing things like um, literary devices mm -hmm. and um, structuring essays and so on. Yep. When they've been doing the activity over weeks mm. yep. or months even, um, not a great deal of expl uh, explanation is required because yep. they know what the task involves. But still, I think even just words down there, one, two, three, yep. Yep. on the board, that visual structure mm. yep. and visual cues is really important. Probably more so now when you're going down to primary, because yep. I'm mm. not a primary teacher, yep. but at primary, you know, it can be pictorial. Mm. Um, for my daughter when she was at primary school, it was a visual schedule. Yep. Right? Sometimes Velcro that you can yep. remove them as you go. And there's a whole variety of, of ways. But getting in through the visual yep. for the majority is going to be far more successful. I'm, I'm obsessed with visual mm. cues and strategies and always use the visual schedule with the whole class. And I think the biggest, uh, the most difficult point in time in any class for the students with ASD that I taught was those transition times mm. between activities yep. and having a visual schedule minimised that difficulty enormously. The, yep. the, I, I, I was staggered by just the difference it made going from what was a moment of extremely high tension yep. down to an entirely manageable, usually an entirely manageable process. Yep. Yeah, actually for my daughter, um, particularly when she was at primary school, but she still uses it, mm -hmm. um, something called a time timer, which you can buy online quite easily, are clocks where you actually pull around and they go red, 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 red. And they actually just visually show time disappearing oh, around wow. a sphere, yep. you know, around a clock face mm -hmm. without numbers on it. Yep. And that for some students, because some students are not too bad at mm. finishing up a task mm. when, they, when it's not complete, but for some students, yeah. if they haven't completed the task mm. and they want to complete it, mm. yep then um, they're not going to um, easily pack up. Yeah. So you can even use devices like that. And again, I think more so down at primary, but still there are some students at secondary that you'll need to think about mm. strategies like that for. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's case by case. Yeah. Yes. really is. Yep. That is, um, I'm just thinking back to a, a girl that I worked with and, um, and as I remember most, um, so I worked part-time, so she also had to get used to that tra transition mm. that, I wasn't there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but then Thursday, Friday I was. And and my feeling and from what I understood through that year is that 
because we'd built that relationship and rapport that she did quite like looking forward to later yep. in the week, you know. But I also remember one of, one of my big things, not just for her but for my whole class, was having that schedule up on the board and, and I remember Thursday mornings her walking me straight in yeah. because the other teacher I don't think would use it as I often or didn't see the benefit of it or if things changed, you know, she was a bit of an older teacher towards the end of her career. So I think she felt that however the class went for that day. But Thursday morning she'd walk in... Yep you know, read the board, see what was happening. And, and I could see she really liked that. But then then heading towards each part of the lesson and getting her to complete work, something like that would have been really helpful. More so understanding that time and, and what she actually had to complete by the end of it, mm. you know. So even though I had the schedule up for the whole day, but, that, but those moments throughout the day I think would have been really good, yeah. Transitioning is really hard and it's mm. again a part of the brain that is just isn't functioning the same as it would in a mainstream person. So what we would consider to be something, why would that be hard? Um, so what? Well, it, it is actually quite hard for them to shift attention to something mm. different and to make that change. Um, I think at uh, senior years, once you get start getting up into the senior years, um, things like class calendars, e, you know, these mm. uh, Outlook calendars or whatever um, are a great way of um, structuring things too. And I've, yep. I've found it for the whole class. Again, these mm -hmm. things, yay, they work for the whole class. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so you can put in to each lesson slot on the calendar what, what you've done yep. in the lesson yep. um, so that students can revisit it too. Because in the classroom setting, you've also got your sensory issues coming mm -hmm. in there for our students with ASD. For most of them, there's going to be a sensory impact. Bodies in the room, yeah. noise, stuff outside the windows, um, all of that which is going to be really distracting them. So again, um, the visual is really important. Oh, can I break to a slightly oh, different topic mm, now? Yeah. And it's something you said a while ago that I'd like to go back to, you talked about establishing the relationship yep. as a really foundation stone for working with any student on the spectrum. How, what markers do you use to help you understand that the relationship's in place? Because I ask because I think for many students with ASD, what, what we would typically use as markers of a good relationship forming, strong eye contact, you know, smiling, those sort of things aren't always there. So how do you make that assessment that, yeah, things are going well between the two of us? Yes, that's, a, that's such a good question. Now I've got to really think mm. because I don't know. I think often I just feel them. But um, no, you won't, get the same, you won't get the same cues, I suppose. Mm. And it's common for, for teachers in reports to write um, doesn't, you know, is often looking away, mm. is you know, distracted, scribbling on their work. Well, for my daughter, the yep. way that she listens and focuses is to draw. Yep. She'll draw because eye contact is just too intense. Mm. Yep. And if she looks at you, she's going to be looking at your pupil and yep. <laughs> your iris yep. and how many eyelashes <laughs> you've got, how long yep. they are, yep. this kind of thing, and not really being able to concentrate on what you're saying. Um, I suppose I asked because... Often I would feel like I didn't have a great relationship with a student with ASD. Yep. 
only for their parents to later tell me things that indicated the opposite. You know, mm -hmm. He comes home and talks about you all the time and things like that that so made that me realise actually... Yeah. on a daily basis to know yeah, that. Yeah, and I, I'd made an incorrect assessment that yes. they, they weren't really... Yep. Yep. Yeah, actually, it was in, it, that's interesting because that probably was the first thing that came to my mind is ask the parents. Yep. All right, so if for students that have regular um, parents... Support group mm -hmm. meetings. Yep. I don't know. They've got all different names yep. depending yes. on where you look. <laughs> yep. um, but when you have those regular meetings, that's an ideal opportunity mm. yes. to really get that feedback. Yep. Because yep. you're right, and my daughter and her friend, who who do go and talk to groups of mm -hmm. teachers, point out every time that they have a poker face. Mm. <clears throat> and um, in any case they're not that great at body language. They're yeah. not that great at interpreting it yeah. and yes. they're not that great at doing it. Yeah. Um, so, y yes, the look at me or um, sometimes though you'll have magic moments mm -hmm. and um, it might be, if you can learn a little bit about special interests, yes. mm. that can be a way in. Yeah. Yes, yes. You just have word of warning though, you need to make sure that you <laughs> have a time limit yeah. because they might... The, the student may then launch into the great discourse. Yep. But um, one of my students has a Ridgeback, and we have a Ridgeback oh, yeah. pup. And I happened to know this and started a conversation about his Ridgeback. And I got full eye contact, which oh, was yeah. really right. unusual. Yep. Wow. Not, not for long. Yep. And then we actually had a conversation about his, his dog. Hmm. Um, it was a point of common interest mm. yep. so if you can go in through the special interest yeah. and that yes. goes for actually in the classroom too yep. Yep. if you can incorporate the special in interest yep. they're drivers yep. and I think that that's a great point of, of contact mm. Mm. Yeah. So fantastic way to establish that relationship yes. Yeah. Yeah. yes I was thinking back to yeah a girl and yeah we had a dog oh, sorry she had um, cats but was fascinated by dogs and the special interest was the dogs yep. but then also eventually over the course of the year we figured out we had a very similar sense of humour so then there would be some jokes or some things that she knew that she had ways to yep. to, to get to my sense of humour <laughs> you know but yeah magic moment she actually ended up writing or singing a song about one of her integration aids that ended up being quite funny so then we recorded it but then there was that look and that discussion and then wanting to show everybody else that the song she'd made but you know yeah it's but I think those special moments are real uh, sorry I think the um the special interests are a really good way to you know to really build that relationship to start with there's yeah. a lot of things you can do with special interests yeah. and I think you've touched on them um many of the students I've come across and this includes my own daughter mm. have really quirky senses yes, of humour. Yes, yes. They're quite offbeat often mm. yes. and um, oh, often they'll be interested in things like Monty Python oh, and yeah. uh, well, Big Bang Theory mm. is another big one. Oh, yeah, yeah. We love that. We've yep. got all the series. <laughs> um, and actually that's a good insight too, um, in, I think, in many ways into autism. But the special interests can also be used not only to, as motivators through the curriculum, you can mm -hmm. build them into the curriculum, especially for, well, for all age groups, yep. but particularly for much smaller children through all the different subject areas. But also it can be a great opportunity for that child to shine. Yeah. You know, and I've had, <laughs> I've had in the past, because we use overhead, um, uh, what do we call it, we link up our computers uh, to an overhead projector, oh, yeah. yep. project the screen onto the computer screen. Um, 
and I've had my PA, my personal assistant, my IT crew, um, and usually that, that will be somebody on the spectrum, mm. not always, um, but I'll then get them to help me set oh, it yeah. up and troubleshoot mm. and um, or just to help other people, go around and help yeah. other people. It's yep. something that they're really good at. Yeah. Yes. They feel confident at it yeah. um, and it gives them a chance to shine like, like your girl. Mm. Yeah. A chance to experience success. Yes. yes. In a setting where success doesn't come all that often, I imagine. That's right. Yeah. Well, socially, it, it's not coming yeah. uh, as it does for other, other other children. So that's also a social opportunity. Yeah. If you can um, make uh, find a way through their special interests, yes. you can also set up social interactions yeah. too. Yeah. Mm. You mentioned taking a growth mindset to your teaching. Where do you think mm. you're looking to explore next? Yeah. What is it that you're not doing now that's you know really gripping your interest and you're hoping to incorporate in the future? Oh, just I, oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think probably spreading the word. I think yeah. that's yeah. Um, it's a real passion for me. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's a huge because it's a huge area, mm. um, autism, um, and it's oh, 13 years I guess I've been thrown myself into research, reading every autobiography, biography mm -hmm. I could lay my yep. hands on. Yep. Um, now we've got to a point where my own daughter and her friend are starting their own little business. Um, they've already given presentations to groups of staff. Mm -hmm. uh, they feel very passionate about being mm. advocates yeah. because they are some of the few yeah. that are able to stand up and actually talk about it openly. Mm. But it's interesting that across the world there's more of a, a move now mm. for people on the spectrum to say, well, listen, mm. w we'll tell you how we're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. We actually will tell you, not you tell us. Mm. So I suppose I'm very keen to faci you know, mm. facilitate that and yep. to, I guess I can bring the scientific background and yes. the teacher input. Yep. But I think teacher education and then support. So I really enjoy being able to support teachers and I guess explain yep. why certain things might be happening mm -hmm. yep. um, because I think that's really empowering. The more you know about autism, the more yep. clues you've got, yep. you yep. know, yep. like it's not going to be a fix-all but yep. it, there's more clues yep. to why things are happening. The development of the community of um, people who have autism spectrum but are at a um, communication level mm. high enough to, you know, give us that insight, I think it's fascinating. The, um, the language they use around sort of um, neurotypical development and, and how that contrasts with their own experience of the world. Yes. I, I, I love hearing about it. Look, it's fantastic. There's a group um, that's been set up here in Melbourne called ICANN mm -hmm. and they're a group of young people um, who dedicate themselves to being mentors. Mm -hmm. uh, my daughter has an older mentor, um, a female in her 20s. Yeah. And they communicate with one another. And my daughter's a mentor for a, a younger child mm. as well already. Um, and I think that that's fantastic. Mm. But yes, um, my daughter unkindly jokes about me and my friends at times. Mm. Yep. You, you neurotypical. Yep. Yeah. And look, I remember when I was doing my master's, we had a, a woman in our course and she was in her 30s and she was on the spectrum. Mm. And every now yeah. and then, She'd just give us a sharp reminder yeah. um, because she would post, we had blogs and she'd write a post and we'd read it and go, ooh, ooh, that's jarring. Mm. 
Um, and of course, you you had to then remember. Well, hang on. This is just her being very direct mm -hmm. and just stating things as they are. But one of her comments through the course was about socialisation, and she started off in her typical fashion. You neurotypicals, <laughs> you know. Yep. We got used to that after a while. You neurotypicals. Yeah, that's us. Uh, you think that we don't socialise. Yeah. yeah. And she said, well, we do. Yep. And, and they, she was part of a group that used to meet once a week mm -hmm. and they would meet and she said, yep. we don't worry about all the, how are you, yep. look at the weather, yep. oh goodness, you know, how's such and such. Yep. She said, we get straight to talking yep. about, we've each got 10 minutes or mm -hmm. so for our special yep. interest topic and then we have food at the end. Yep. Yep. And that was her way of doing mm. it. I mean, I observe my daughter with her friends. Mm. Sometimes there doesn't appear to be a great deal of mm. conversation yep. going on. Sometimes they're, they're playing a game. There's some complex games like Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering and some of these amazing games mm -hmm. yep. um, that people of my daughter's age or older um, can play together. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yes, they may not, they may not uh, be socialising as we do, yes. but they would actually probably consider that they do it better. Yeah, yep. yep. that's what I like so, about the, the whole, the whole yeah. neurotypical term is the concept that uh, neurotypical behaviour is as mysterious to them as some of the traits that they might show is to us. Yep. And, and it's just a reminder that it's not a, it's not a correct way, it's just a different way of seeing the world. Yeah, a different way of, that's right, the brain is working differently, processing information differently, different way of seeing the world, and it's almost like a different culture. Mm, mm. Um, there's even a, a website that's been set up by young people called Wrong Planet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's almost yeah. like they're from a different yeah, planet. Yeah. But thank goodness, because that different perspective on life is the reason why we've had so many interesting mm. discoveries mm. and art forms mm. and, you know, I suppose colour in what could be a mm. rather beige world yeah. otherwise. Yeah. So... If we return back to our, our sort of main question, and I don't expect you to give us a, a one-minute definitive answer, um, but our big question was what mindset do I need to take when including a student with autism into a mainstream classroom? Yep. What, what for you is a clue about that mindset? A clue? I think a willing willingness to learn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A willingness to learn about the students that you have in your class, well, it's any student, but particularly those with autism, mm -hmm. to, to learn about them, yep. what makes them tick, that's a beginning, um, and then to accept that it's a bit of a journey together. Yeah. I think um, liaising with parents is really important because parents are experts. Mm. They're with the child, you know, yeah. so much of the time and they have done the hard yards mm. with that child growing up. But I think there will be good days and there'll be bad days. There will be things that don't work, things that will work one day and they're not going to work the next because that child's had some upset. Yep. Um, maybe their favourite toy has broken or they've mm. lost it. Yep. Or maybe um, they've had a replacement teacher in period mm. one yep. and the class didn't behave. Yep. Um, there's so many variables. Yep. And so you might be doing everything right, ev the mm. way you've always done yep. it. Yep. But I think at that point you've got to allow yourself um, some some slack too, mm. yes. um, and you've got to try and be flexible. Um, and then, 
as with any good teaching practice, keep reflecting and just um, growing, I suppose, yeah. as you go along. And Kate, what about you? What mindset do you think is supportive when including a student from um, the spectrum? Look, um, I mean, I think all of those points you've just made are so valuable. And, you know, I'm thinking um, back to, you know, the work that I've done with with students and, you know, I think that importance of working with families, mm -hmm. you know, and, and developing that relationship very early on, you know, I think is, is important and, yeah, figuring out what ticks and what spe special interests are and, um, yeah, no, I, I think all of those things you've, you know, you've really just nailed it exactly, so, yeah. To me it's always been um, stopping myself from... Uh, putting the expectations about how I might behave in a situation yeah. onto a, another person. Yep. So just because I think I might respond in a certain way to something doesn't mean I should expect that of someone else. And I think that's why, to me, teaching students on the spectrum was so valuable because it's not only those students that I need to stop thinking how I would respond in this situation. It's all students I need to, I need to change that point of view around. Yep. That it's been so interesting to talk to you and the amount of things that I've personally got got out of that and all the tips and the experiences and your knowledge. I've really, really enjoyed that. So thank you so much. Thanks so much, Jane. Thank you. Thank you both. The Teacher Learning Network podcast is hosted by Kate Chinner and Max Grarock. The Teacher Learning Network is the not-for-profit teacher professional development organisation that's supported by the Australian Education Union's Victorian branch and the Independent Education Union's Victoria, Tasmania branch. We produce online and face-to-face -face professional learning opportunities for educators in schools and early childhood services. We also publish books, magazines and apps to support the education community. To view a calendar of our courses and find out more about our resources, please visit our website at www.tln.org.au. The Teacher Learning Network is a membership-based organisation Schools and Early Childhood Services join the TLN to support the individual professional learning needs of their staff. Once members, all staff can participate in our professional learning at no extra charge. To find out more about joining, visit www.tln.org.au forward slash join. If your school is a member of the Teacher Learning Network, you can produce a certificate recording your engagement with this podcast. These are great pieces of evidence for your professional learning records. You can generate a certificate by visiting www.tln.org.au forward slash podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback or input about the issues we've discussed today or any other suggestions for future podcasts. Please email any feedback or suggestions through to me via max at tln.org.au. If you like this podcast, please rate or review it in your podcast app. It helps us reach more teachers. Have a great day and you'll hear from us again in a couple of weeks.